Well, good morning. My name is Leah Pavel. I am one of the pastors here. Um, the other is Josh here down in the front, my hubby. And we have been tagging out a lot more in this sermon series than we normally do. Um, I spend a good bit of time back with the kids in kids' church and enjoy that. But for some reason, um, I think the Lord just has us during this series tagging out a good bit. And it's given me a lot of words. I don't know that they're good words, but there's a lot of them. The, the series that we're in is called Ecclesia. And what we've been talking about is this gathering of God's people, what we think of and gather as the church, but this gathering of God's people that, that is more than just the sum of its parts and what it's supposed to look like if we're doing it the way that Jesus intended for us to do it when we gather and what that means. It's funny Again, I, I tell you guys these stories all the time, and I get to see it, and I love it because I'm, I can be up here and then back in kids' church. guess the kids' church lesson this morning is the same thing as what the Lord gave me to share with you this morning. And so I just I love his consistency like that. I love how he lines these things up and just reminds me all the time that there is no junior Holy Spirit. There's not some lesser you know, entity working back in kids' church to just keep them happy. Like he's teaching them the same things he's teaching us. Um, and I love that. I love how he works that out. So this morning we're going to continue on in this series. And I've called this, this topic um, Servant Discipleship with a nice, nasty, dirty foot there. And I don't even know if that phrase is a thing. <laughs> I kind of made it up because as I was preparing, I really felt like there were the the focus of where the Holy Spirit was taking me was on this idea of service, but I couldn't get away in talking about service from the idea of gifts, and with the idea of gifts, I couldn't get away from the idea of discipleship, and so I just tried to kind of lump it all together, and this is what we have this morning. Servant discipleship, and just like every other series, every other sermon in this series, at least the ones I've done where I'm trying to look at, at where we are as a church or the Big C church as a whole, and ask what the Lord's doing, our example is always Jesus. You know, we come back and we look at Jesus, and we look at how he did these things, and there's no different this morning. Um, I was reading a book by a man named Carl Medeiros, who was in a, a, well, a missionary mainly, a book called 42 Seconds, and he had this line in there, and I thought, yep, that's, that's exactly it, that says, whenever I think of almost anything in any situation, I relate it back to Jesus and how he did that same thing. It's an exercise that helps me think and act like him. And so that's the approach I'm taking again this morning is, okay, how did Jesus do this? And if this is how Jesus did it as our model, as our perfect human, as the most fully human human that it's ever lived, because he was human better than anyone else, um, then how do we then do those things in light of this? And the Gospels tell us, this about Jesus in the way that he served. It says that he came to serve, first of all, not to be served, which is kind of mind-boggling if you think about it, that the king of kings and lord of lords that stepped out of heaven didn't come to be served as a king. He came to serve. And then 1 John 3, 8 tells us that in that service, he came to destroy the works of, the de of Satan, the works of the devil. So he's serving, and his works and his acts of service are serving to destroy that which Satan was trying to stir up and do, the one who roams around looking to kill, steal, and destroy. 
And so Jesus spent a good bit of time over three years investing in 12 specific guys that he chose and teaching him to do the same things that he did, equipping his disciples for works of service that would do the same things he did with the same mission that he had, which was to take back whatever the enemy had stolen, to rebuild whatever the enemy had destroyed, and to resurrect whatever the enemy had killed. And that's what they did. And so they, they go about this, and this is our model. And we see the disciples doing it, and we see us being commissioned as his followers to do the same. So you can kind of think about this this way. Our faith, I think, maybe this is an oversimplification, but our faith basically has two separate components, right? We have the belief component, and we have the action component. And we have this belief, these things that we ascribe to. We have these mission statements. You know, you can find ours out in the lobby and all sorts of big, pretty pamphlets and stuff. What do we believe to be true about God and Jesus and our role in this whole thing? Do we believe the Bible? Do we believe everything it says? Do we believe that Jesus was who he said he was? So we have this belief component, component um, but we believe ourselves that an almighty God came in the form of a servant to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's from Matthew 20, 28. So we have that belief. But the problem is, even demons believe. And it didn't get them very far. So belief on its own is insufficient. So we have this other aspect of our faith, which is our action. As a result of this belief, as a result that we believe that an almighty God came to earth as Jesus and did what he did and died on the cross and was raised again, there's some response that we have to have as a result of this, right? We can't just believe that and then do nothing with it. I have a, a middle school girls discipleship group that I do once a month, and this week I was telling them, we were actually talking about the temple, and um, I'm going off script here, but uh, we were talking about the temple and how that was God's place of his enthronement, you know, when, when his presence was there, but now it's us and his church and his people, and if we really believe that, like if we take that at face value, that should change everything. It should change everything about us. It should change our actions, the way that we approach life, the way that we approach difficulty and, and hardship and all those things. So there's got to be some response in reaction to this belief. And that's discipleship. It's obedience. Doing something because of what we believe is discipleship. And that was Jesus's way, right? Go and do these things. He sent his disciples out. He said, teach them to obey all that I've showed you, all that I've to told you, right? Observe these things. Don't forget them. But I really think that we have minimized the action component of our faith because, you know, we've all kind of grown up being told it's not about works. Does anybody else, like, have that experience? It's not about works. It's about, you know, be, be more than do, right? So I think we've really minimized the action part and making it not about works in our faith, which, okay. But being a disciple, the very nature of being a disciple requires some doing. It requires some action on our part. It requires doing the same things that Jesus did in the same way that Jesus did them with the same power that Jesus did them because he did it with the power of the Holy Spirit as well, which is just mind-blowing. And it requires making other disciples and showing them how to do those same things. 
let's look at the actual verse, kind of where this idea comes from of, you know, not by works. It's Ephesians 2.9, and it says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do. You know, our faith is exactly right. I feel like this verse is so taken out of context sometimes because works aren't bad. They're just not the source of our salvation. We're saved by grace through faith, but the other side of that coin is, is works because don't drop off the second half of that for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared for us in advance to do. There's something for us to do to act out on this belief and faith that we have and make it reality. Our faith isn't based on works, but if we aren't working it out, our faith has no pulse. And a living in a spiritual coma is no life at all. You know, in the book of James, it tells us our faith without works is what? Dead. It's dead. There's no pulse. You don't just get to sit there and say you believe this and then not do something about it. And so here's my honest question to you because I was thinking about this. If you aren't activated in your faith life, if you're not working out this belief and doing something, aren't you bored? <laughs> like, seriously, aren't you bored? Like, I remember as a kid going to the big church I went to and sitting there and just being like, what are we doing? And just eating my grandma's bag of candy the whole time. Like, keep me entertained. Like, we can't just show up and be like, yeah, we believe this stuff, aren't, but God, aren't you bored? Don't you want to get in and play? <laughs> like, we have this phrase in the vineyard, everybody gets to play. And not only do we believe it, we need it. We need everybody to play. We need everyone activated in their faith. Disciples, guys, are practitioners. They're working this stuff out. You know, even those original 12 that Jesus had actually had, like, way more action than they did belief. Like, think about the way they handled this stuff. They went out to heal the sick and cast out demons and came back shocked that it worked. They started out with way more do than be. And I'm not saying fake it till you make it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying be a disciple and obey. Be activated in your faith and do something as a response of this belief that you had. I love that. Those early 12 and the others that they discipled and brought into the kingdom, they were being equipped as an army. Uh, Josh and I had a conversation um, this week with some other vineyard pastors doing a Skype thing, kind of maintaining relationship. And one of the things that we were talking about just briefly was how corporate the church has become. It has become this place of doers and receivers of producers and consumers. But the early church was being activated and equipped as an army. And they were using that equipping to do what Jesus said he came to do, which is to battle the enemy and to do all the things he did of healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out demons and prophesying God's truth and feeding the poor and preaching the gospel and demonstrating it with power and authority. We can't get away from that part. There was absolutely nothing about the early church that was mechanical and boring. Matter of fact, Paul had to write all these letters saying, when you get together, hang on, let's put some order to this thing. 
everyone was so super stoked to get involved and do their thing and participate in the kingdom of God that he had to kind of say, whoa, whoa, okay, hang on, let's have, let's have some order. If someone gets up to talk, then hang on, let them talk. Everybody was in it, all in, ready to go. But so much of the modern church has been relegated to a passive audience instead of a powerful army. A- and that should grieve us. The early church was dynamic and engaging, and so much of what we do now is sitting in an audience. Armies, guys, stay in the trenches. That's their place. Audiences come into a room and find the best view and the most comfortable seat, and they settle down to spectate. But we're not called as spectators, we're called as participants. And I, I, you know, I hate to say this, and, but it, it, it's true that so many Christians have become a marketing demographic. We have been marketed to and said, hey, come here. We're going to play the best music for you, performed by the best musicians and the best singers, and we're going to have the best lights, and we're going to preach the best sermon, and we're going to feed you the best words, and we're going to fill it with smoke machines that our lasers can bounce off of. And now, this is not to cut churches who do this, but we have to check our hearts, right? Are we about church growth for entertainment's sake, or are we about kingdom growth for people being activated in their faith and their belief? And we've told them, come on in here. Your kids are going to have the best lessons and the best crafts, and we're going to have so much fun. But guys, the kingdom isn't always fun, but it should always be exciting. Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it's sacrifice. It's often sacrifice. We're not called to be an audience, guys. We're not called to be fed and get fat on the marketing and the entertainment. We're called to engage and activate our belief in a way that's obvious, that advances the kingdom, that battles Satan. We cannot resign to letting the professionals do it. I feel like sometimes we've taken that full armor of God that's meant for his army and we've kind of put it away in the closet and said, I'm going to let the people who are fully trained in seminary and who have all this experience and the name and the title and the book and whatever and let them do it for me. And I'm going to watch them and enjoy them and like say amen. But no, church is not a spectator sport and there's no professionals in God's kingdom. There's just servants, disciples, people who do because of what Jesus did. And God's not looking for professionals. He's looking for humble practitioners. We have to remember that being the ecclesia of God's people, the gathering of God's people, is totally countercultural. And it grieves me much when I see parts of the body of Christ that have been lulled into that entertainment sector more than the empowering sector. And we have to remember that being God's people is always countercultural. Because we're undoing the works of Satan through the power of the Holy Spirit. Seeking to serve isn't the norm. But the good news is, we haven't been left empty-handed here. The Holy Spirit has given us gifts to do this with. Let's look at this verse, 1 Peter 4.10. We've been given tools to be practitioners of our faith. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. One of the things I actually really, really love about Josh is that he doesn't give mundane, trite, cliche gifts. Like, I do, I, I love this. He puts so much effort and energy into giving a gift. Like, he thinks about it. Like, I've gotten some of the neatest gifts. Uh, one of the very first gifts I got from him that we still have is this little stuffed um, husky. He gave this to me for Christmas one year before we were even engaged. We were just dating. And he'd had this little tag engraved with my name, like, Merry Christmas, you know, whatever. Super cute. And, and he, because he knew that I loved huskies. Now, those of you who know us now, we have a husky now. It took, like, 15 years, <laughs> you know. But, like, he goes through and he so carefully considers the gifts that he gives. And he puts thought and love. And, like, he's not one to show up at Walmart the night before. Well, okay, maybe he shows up at Target with the kids, like, before Mother's Day, but that's okay. He <laughs> still goes and puts so much thought and energy into it. And I love that about him. And it feels, if you've ever been the recipient of that kind of a gift, you know how good that feels. Like someone that's thought about you and considered you and put time and energy into this and that they selected it just for you. I'm not as good at that, nearly as good at that as he is. But, you know, this, that feeling of getting that good gift, that's like what church is supposed to feel like when we're all operating in the gifts that God has given us. Because when we're doing that, we're pouring out gifts to others that God has very specifically selected and given because he knows it's what we need and he's thought about us and he sees his church and he knows the deficiencies and he's given us the things we need and if we activate in them and use them that way, it should have that same feeling of, I've been thought of and considered and I've been given the very thing I need. That's how it should feel. That's the nature of edification. It's a fitting gift, considered and given well and used at the right time that edifies the whole body. These are our tools. We talked about being an army. These are our weapons of warfare, are these gifts that we've been given. You guys, the church cannot be reduced to only pastoral and teaching and worship leading gifts. There is so much more than that. We will be so anemic and insufficient if we do. There are lists upon lists in scripture and probably way more that aren't even listed that the Holy Spirit pours out and we cannot just resign ourselves to say, here's those three gifts in operation on a Sunday, check, we're done. Absolutely not. We will be deficient and anemic and ineffective. Each one of you has got to be activated in your giftings and using them to advance God's kingdom. We need all of you. You know, I really believe that there are like these dormant gifts of prophecy and healing and teaching. Thank you, Jesus. Get up here. There's words for us from you, you know, of uh, what the prophetic, of hospitality, of generosity that are dormant in our body and in the church as a whole. But the Holy Spirit is calling them to life, giving them a pulse saying put your belief into action. Use these giftings. It edifies the church and it advances his kingdom. So what are you going to do about it? Because <laughs> we can give you space. See this microphone here? It's always here. 
And it's here because we believe God's giving you things to say and share. We've done series where we've invited so many other people up to speak, and I just I believe there's so much more for that, of that for us. And I want to encourage you to go for it. Guys, every time I get up here to speak, I'm like shaky. I'm freaked out. I like I, I still have stage fright. But I know that God is with me. And if he's given me something to say, it's his Holy Spirit that's going to give it teeth. So it's okay to be scared. Just be brave in being scared. Do it anyway. <laughs> be obedient. You know? Unfortunately, I think we've reduced this idea of service to kind of a taskmaster type thing. And let me give you an example that's going to shoot myself in the foot. We've got Holly Fest coming up. And this is, I don't know, what, four or five years now that we've done this. Holly Fest, guys, if I can just admit it, is like the lowest form of service. We go and we pour corn and we play and we have fun. It is fun, but it can be more fun. Because I think when we sign up for Holly Fest and we go, even though at its base level it's just like a connection with the community, which I think is actually very important. I think as a church we need to be outward focused, even if that means going and playing and having fun. I, I think Jesus is all about fun and, and enjoying ourselves and enjoying our life and enjoying and engaging with our community. But what if we took those gifts of encouragement and healing and prophecy and words of knowledge with us to Holly Fest? How much different could that be? Sug Farm would become so much more than a carnival ground and be turned into a battlefield where we speak against lies and we pray against oppression and we encourage people. Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine if just four or five of us went out there and actually took our gifts with us and did it in the way that Jesus walked about his daily life, reclaiming what the enemy had stolen and resurrecting what the enemy had killed? Can you imagine? We could transform a town a county. So let's, let's sign up for Holly Fest, but when we go, let's take our gifts with us. By the way, Holly Fest plug, we're deficient on 12 to 4 slot people. <laughs> the link to sign up is on our Facebook page and our website, and I can, I'm sure I posted it in Slack at some point, so if you aren't in Slack, shame on you, get on there. So yeah, please, go sign up. And let's go make it the most fun thing that we do all month, because we see people, guys, I have um, some atheist friends that we know from soccer, and last time she came up and asked me to pray for her breast cancer. The kingdom of God is where we bring it, <laughs> where we use our gifts. So go sign up, because all this stuff is meant to be way more exciting and way more fun and way more engaging than what we have le been led to believe. There's more to it. Like, let's go beyond surface-level stuff. So a couple weeks ago, um, in pre-service prayer, and you're all invited to pre-service prayer, we meet at 9.15, and pray over the service, and just kind of see what God's saying. I'm a little nervous this morning because usually God says the sermon in pre-service prayer, and I didn't hear it as well. But a couple weeks ago, we got to talking about living stones. And those of you who were here, we were talking about this idea of living stones being fitted together just right by an artisan, like a master mason for a purpose. Let's look at 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. As you come to him... The living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You guys remember the old school game Tetris? <laughs> now, this is like one of the original like PC version 
when I searched for Tetris images, it was like all this fancy, flashy, candy crush looking stuff. I'm like, no, 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 not the old school looking stuff. I think too many of us take what gifts we want or think we have and do something more akin to playing a game of Tetris with them than we do into being built into living stones. And what I mean by this is we fill roles or serve in ways that maybe are not necessarily our gifting. And we leave holes and gaps when those of us who are supposed to be serving in those ways aren't activated as practitioners. I confess before you right now, I'm pretty sure I'm serving in some roles and leaving some gaps that are not mine to serve in. And I'm praying a whole lot in talking to my counselor about what things God has called me to do and what things I've picked up and done because they need to be done. Yeah? If we can just be honest about that. And I think a lot of us do that. And there's holes left because the people who fit that hole as a living stone are not being worked in as they should be. And so I am very actively pursuing the Lord right now to say, where's my spot as a living stone and my gifting and who needs to get in this hole? Who can I encourage to use their gifting and get there? Who needs to get in the trenches? My sister and I took a trip to Ireland a couple years ago, and it Ireland is just full of these roads with these stone walls that were built hundreds, some of them thousands of years ago, and they're still standing. And they look something like this, except they're, they're totally covered in like ivy and bushes and stuff. But the Holy Spirit's intention for us is not that Tetris board with all the holes. God's intention for us is something more akin to this, where we're different in size and shape and ability and experience, but he takes us and he fits us in like a master mason, a master craftsman. Because remember, we're his handiwork. And he works us where he wants us and fits us in with the gifts he's given us so that there's no gaps and there's no lack because he's the one who built the structure for us to be a holy priesthood. This is what we need to be pursuing. You guys remember the story of um, David and Saul? And we, we kind of first see David when he comes on the scene where Samuel has gone to Jesse's house and he's looking for the next king and he kind of goes through the ranks and is like, really, this runt that was out in the field? And Saul, he's going to go you know, fight this giant. And Saul takes one look at him and he's like, no, nah, you, you need some protection. You need some armor. So what does Paul, Saul do? He takes off his armor and puts it on David. And what's the result? David can't even move. It's ridiculous. What, what fits Saul didn't fit David. But David had enough sense and enough knowledge of the Lord and his ways to say, I don't need this. The Lord is with me. He's given me what I need. And he pulls out a slingshot and five rocks and goes and takes down the giant that was terrifying everyone. We can't try to wear Saul's armor, and we can't try to put Saul's armor on someone else. The Lord has equipped each of us the way that we need to be equipped, and we have to work with that, and we have to have the good sense to know when the Lord says, that's not what I have for you. But we also have to know when he says, take out your slingshot. That's the way we're going to do this. So maybe you have a sword, maybe you have a slingshot, but regardless, you have the Holy Spirit. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to work when we do it his way.
Ephesians 4 tells us that we have the same grace that Paul had to equip the church and preach the gospel. Does that blow anyone else's mind? Because I look at Paul and I think, no way. But we had the same grace that empowered him. So what's holding us back other than our fear or apathy? Nothing. We have every resource we need. Because, guys, like that verse said, Jesus is not looking to inhabit buildings. He's looking to inhabit a people. And we're that people. People are the structure. People are the living stones built into a temple of his presence. And where his presence is, there his power is also. So we lack for nothing. And all of this hangs on discipleship. And here's what I mean by that. Let's look at Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There's more. There's a maturity to be had. There's a fullness and a wholeness to be had when we're all doing what God has gifted and equipped equipped and called us to do. But to get there, we need discipleship. In the vineyard, we, we use this discipleship model. It's like got a certain number of steps, but it's based on the way that, again, Jesus did this. Because what did Jesus do? He did it. He showed them, he taught them, he explained them, he sent them out to do it and said, come back and tell me how it goes, and then he sent them out to teach others. And it's this process that we've got to be engaged in if we're going to reach this whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you guys know this Aristotle quote? I feel like I, I heard this a lot in college, that teaching is the highest form of understanding. Maybe you, like, have real experience with that. Like, I remember in college, I was in this chemistry class, and I had had AP chemistry in high school, so I was a little more grounded in, in what I knew than some of the folks in my class. And we went to have this study group, and they just were not, whatever we were doing at the time, they just weren't getting at all. And I'm like, okay, well, here we go. And so I start teaching them. And in teaching them, it cemented so much more in me the knowledge of that. And I got it. And I knew if I could take what I knew and relay it to someone else and teach them, I really did get it. I have learned more being in kids' church for the past five years than sitting in church services for the previous 25. I'm older than that, 35. (laughs) My math is... Good thing I wasn't trying to teach math. But seriously... In my preparation to teach kids and pour into them and tell them who the Holy Spirit is and who Jesus is and what he did for them, I have had so much more grow in my own heart and have my understanding of this stuff increased. And I'm going to tell you something, what's in the Bible is an awesome curriculum and it's hilarious. But it's good stuff. When we can impart these things in discipleship to others, we ourselves are strengthened. And it works in worship, it works in teaching, Every single one of us needs to be engaged in two avenues of discipleship. One where we're being poured into by someone who knows more than us and has done it longer than us. And two, pouring out to someone who doesn't know it as well as we do. Because we all have those levels. And if you're 80 and it's someone who's 30 who's training you, but they know this more than you, that's fine. And if you're teaching someone older than you, that's fine. 
but we're doing this according to the Spirit, and we're receiving and giving out at the same time so that we are always growing into the fullness of Christ and we are maturing to the point that he has for us. There's no... I'm a firm believer. I have a youth pastor who said this many years ago. God's plans do not suffer for lack of his provision. And I believe that. I often pray a prayer that sounds like, God, this is your check to cash. Like, I feel like when God calls me to do something and I'm like, all right, well, you got to give me the stuff because I don't have it or the people or the gifting or the ability or the time or the energy. I don't believe God's plans ever suffer for lack of his provision. So if it's his plan for us to have worship, I don't think we need to beg for worship leaders. And if it's his plan for us to teach kids and disciple them, I don't think I should have to beg for kids' church workers. That's where my filter just failed. (laughs) If it's God's plan to feed the poor, we shouldn't have to beg people to go and feed the poor. We need to be activated in our gifts and doing the things he's called us to do with the gifts that he's given. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to show us our gifts. <laughs> I, was, um, I recently joined a gym. I, I told you I was joking about moving the platform up here, but I did recently join a gym about a month ago, and I've been working out like three to four times a week, and there's this one class I do called Strictly Strength that my friend drug me into because I looked at the size of weights they were using and was like, <laughs> but I've been doing this, and I am sore 24-7 because of it. Like I can't, the first week I, I couldn't sit for three days. I had to lower myself onto chairs, but I'm getting stronger. But the thing that the lady who teaches the class always says is she's like, if you don't fail, you're not using enough weight. She's like, push to failure. And some of you have heard that phrase in the vineyard before, push to failure. Risk to the point that you are no longer on safe sand and you are out in the ocean and the Holy Spirit has got to catch you or you sink. Put your, what in your life are you doing right now that requires faith? Anything? Because if you're not, get out in the deep because that's where the Lord's going to meet you. That song we sang, Lord, you meet me here. When we push to the point of failure and we go out beyond our own physical and mental capabilities and abilities, I've been told, Leah, you're just too capable for your own good because I stay often within the bounds of what I can control. But when we push outside those bounds and say, Lord, I trust that you've given me this gift and that you want me to use it, but I'm way out here where I'm no longer in control and I have no safety net but you. That's when we see stuff happen. That's when we see the kingdom of God come. That's when we see miracles manifest and his presence show up. Because when we're staying in our safe comfort zone where we're in control, the Holy Spirit's like, well, you got this. What do you need me for? He wants us to step out in faith and trust him. Use weights that are a little too heavy sometimes because you get stronger and you grow, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we need to be asking the Lord, if you don't know what that tool is or tools, we need to be asking that question. You know, we're told eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. If you want that, ask for it. We need to be seeking these things out and asking him, And really paying attention, guys, and this is just one of those, like, practical tidbits, really paying attention to where we feel his pleasure. Have you ever had that experience of serving somewhere or doing something, and it's like you just feel the Lord's pleasure in it? Yeah. And you're like, this is what the Lord has for me. It's not Saul's armor. It's not heavy and clunky and a misfit. You feel the Lord's pleasure. Where do you feel the Lord's pleasure? 
Where is he meeting you? Pay attention to that. Now, I realize that for some of you, the thought of this doing and serving stuff might come across as sounding very tiring and cumbersome. You're like, my schedule is full. I'm really busy. I don't have time to put more stuff in there. And this whole talk of serving is coming upon you way more as shame and a burden than it is an energizing, like, activating thing. And I have a feeling that it's probably because you have some experience, as many of us do, where you've been in a setting before where you were one of the few servants in a sea of consumers. And that's why we all have to do this. Because when you end up with that circumstance where there's like the sea of consumers and just a few people activating their gifts, those few people get burnt out. And I don't want any of us getting burnt out. I want all of us serving in our gifts and receiving and pouring out and giving those good gifts, like I said, Josh gives, that I know the Holy Spirit gives every time. Because that's a whole different feeling. I want to wrap up uh, by reading this little excerpt from this book. This book, um, I don't know if anybody read this book, Letters to the Church. I've actually asked our leadership to read it um, because I really enjoy it. Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. I've been super challenged by this book and encouraged by this book, and it goes a lot with what we've been talking about in this series. But I want to just kind of read this excerpt to you to wrap up, and then we're going to have some time for ministry. God wants you to resemble his son, especially when you gather with your church family. Do you show up to gatherings looking to serve? As some of you read that question, you feel burdened, like a weight was just placed on you. You already live a busy life, and you want the church gathering to be a place of rest where you can be fed. If you think that sitting back and letting the church staff feed you will bring you the most fulfillment, you're so wrong. God promised that those who give will be most blessed in Acts 20.35. Takers are the most miserable people on earth. It is our inability to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them onto others that destroys us. This is what Jesus saves us from. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. The most humble people are typically the happiest. Imagine, and this is what I want us to grab the vision of, Imagine gathering with a group of people who were trying to outserve one another. Have you ever been in a room filled with humble people who count others more significant than, than in themselves? It is anything but burdensome. When servants gather together, everyone is built up. No one hates consumerism more than God because that mentality keeps the church from having the vibrancy that he intended. Don't give up on the dream. The church doesn't have to remain a group of needy people complaining that they haven't been fed well enough. It really can become a group of servants who thrive in serving. Now, this is a hard thing for me to teach because I feel like in general a lot of us do it really well. I don't feel like you're a group of complaining people that you're not getting fed well enough. But in my prayers, I believe there's so much more that God has said, I have depths that you guys haven't scratched yet. I have gifts that aren't activated. Some of you are a Tetris block in the wrong place, leaving a hole. Some of you are a living stone fitted in right where you should be. But some of you are a living stone that's still laying on the side of the road. And you're not really sure what that niche is for you. And so, you know, I'm not, 
that whole spiritual gifts assessment, eh, they're out there online. But I feel like every time I take them, it's like, do you often find yourself writing large checks to people when they need money? You have the gift of generosity. Do you often hear languages that you don't understand? You may have the gift of tongue or speaking languages you don't understand. It's like, if you're doing that already, hello. <laughs> so I don't put a whole lot of stock in those all the time. Do you, have you guys had this experience with those things? It's like, oh, hello, Captain Obvious. <laughs> but I feel like, you know, if we go to the Holy Spirit, how much does he give good gifts to those who ask? So let's ask. You have not because you ask not. So let's ask him. If you don't know your gifting, if you don't know your place, like please don't walk out the door without getting someone to pray with you. Do we have our worship host thing uh, in operation? So we've started doing this a little bit differently. Now you're not going to see people standing up here with lanyards, like ministry team come forth. That's not our MO. But there are people who are here ready to make sure that you get prayer if you will commit to getting prayer. Like, if you will make yourself known and maybe come up here and hang out, you're going to get prayer before you leave. Don't freak out if someone doesn't come to you right away because it's okay because what they should be doing is praying and saying, Lord, who do you want me to pray for and what do you have for me to pray for them? What do you, do you have something for them? But make yourself available. We want to pray for you. If you feel like you're a living stone, like, super gung-ho to go for the Lord, but you're still laying on the side of the road and you're not sure where you fit in, let's pray for you. If you're a Tetris block that is totally shoved into the wrong armor, Mixing metaphors there. Let us pray for you. Because there's plenty of places to serve that advance God's kingdom in here and that absolutely flow out to the rest of the world. Let's take up our gifts and show up to Holly Fest and be light and be an army. Let's not be taskmasters. Let's be an equipped army of God. You know, there's plenty of places to serve here, and there's plenty of places to serve outside. You know, we've got worship team. We've got ministry praying for others. We've m open mic to give prophetic words when it's time. I even for things like, guys, if you are like a decorator, like if God, seriously, if God has given you like this gift of creativity, like I, I don't, it, it, yeah? Sweet. Decorate for Christmas. <laughs> Have at it. Here's your budget. For real. Like, I, I, this is what I'm saying. Like, I'm in roles I shouldn't be in. I don't want to be in them anymore. Come tell me that I have your role, and I'll be like, <laughs> here you go, okay? Like, I, I need your help discerning. Because like I said, I'm actively discerning right now, like the past two or three weeks, Lord, what am I doing that's not mine to do? Because I've been a stopgap. And I'm sorry for taking your space. It's yours. You can have it. Take it. If you're really good at organization, like I'm good at organization, but some of you might be like, hey, I think we can take this Hollyfest thing up a notch. Come tell me. We can do project manager kind of stuff, seriously. Like, here's your budget. Have at it. I execute your vision, you know? Christmas stuff, angel tree, outreach, evangelism, school outreach. The limit is nothing, you know? It's whatever the, the Holy Spirit's doing. Easter. Gathering in groups to minister to the community. Preaching. Kids. Hello, kids. We all have the Holy Spirit ability to bless each other. So let's move in it and work in it and figure out what it is. Not in shame, but in joy that we get to do. Just an insight into my morning. I, I wasn't going to mention this. Um, this morning, I was fretting over my sermon, as I do. 
and I went out on the back porch and I sat down early with with my notes and I just laid my hands on him and prayed for him and I was just overwhelmed that God lets me do this if I can look back I never ever would have thought growing up or anything I even told my one of my best friends I was like Josh wants to be a pastor I wonder if I'm going to marry a pastor that's kind of like next level but at sitting on the back porch this morning I was overwhelmed and overcome and so humbled that the Holy Spirit lets me participate in this work. And I think he wants us to have that, that attitude, that we get to participate. The humility of a humble practitioner and servant equipped by the Holy Spirit to do his work. Oh my gosh, I don't know why he lets me do this, but I'm honored that he does. So Holy Spirit, come. Remove shame where fe- people feel shame for not doing enough. Remove burden where people are doing the wrong things. And Lord, equip us as your army with the gifts you have for each of us. And Lord, we give you permission as if you need it, but it's our acknowledgement, Lord, that you are Lord, you are King, and we give you permission to come and rearrange the stones and to fill us with your power and your presence and to speak to us, to show us where you want us activated and serving. God, would you equip us with all that we need to be servant disciples in the right places, with the right gifts, doing the things that glorify you and advance your kingdom because your burden is easy. Your burden is light. Forgive us, Lord, where we've picked up other people's burdens. We've worn yokes that aren't of you. So, Lord, I I just want to take a minute and ask, Father, that you would come and you would settle on this crowd that you would reveal what it is you're doing in this moment are you activating a gift are you removing a task are you giving vision are you equipping with something new thank you father that your purposes don't fail for lack of your provision but where we need you provide God may we respond to you in kind In Jesus' name, amen.